The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Hello and welcome to ILTV Zion News on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, a tense situation between Russia, Iran and Israel may be headed for a showdown in Syria. A controversial video taken at the Gaza border sparks debate. And you won't want to miss what happens when hundreds of Holocaust survivors join voices for one unforgettable song. I'm Natasha Kirchuk here with the latest news in Israel. like things could be heading for a very serious showdown in Syria. Syria's representative at the UN has officially denied using deadly chemical weapons against its citizens last Saturday, a claim that Russia's UN ambassador has just backed up. And just now, Russia is summoning Israel's envoy to Moscow to discuss yesterday's airstrikes against an Iranian base in Syria. Airstrikes that most agree Israel is behind. في سوريا اليوم أن تحقيقات أجراها الخبراء العسكريون الروس في مدينة دوما قد أثبتت غياب أي آثار لاستخدام سلاح كيميائي هناك وقد تبين في فحوصات المرضى الذين يتلقون العلاج في مستشفيات المدينة مستشفيات مدينة دوما والتي قام بها أطباء عسكريون روس عدم وجود أي أثر لتعرضهم لمادة سامة يعني كل شيء عم نشوفه هو عبارة عن سينما هوليوودية شكرا سيد الرئيس Meanwhile, Russia has apparently been complicit in allowing Iran to gain a foothold in war-torn Syria, a situation that threatens to boil over into outright war with Israel. Earlier this week, airstrikes struck a crippling blow to an Iranian base known as the T-4, located in Syria. American forces were initially named for the attack, but the U.S. has since confirmed that Israel was indeed behind the bombing. White House officials have confirmed that Israel actually warned Washington about the attack shortly before carrying it out. Russia, however, was apparently not informed of Israel's plans, which could indicate that the relationship between Israel and Russia is worsening due to what's going on in Syria. At this time, Israel is at a difficult crossroads with Syria. On one hand, the country has condemned the alleged chemical weapons attack on the Syrian people as nothing short of mass murder. On the other hand, intervening could create a very dangerous front against Israel, consisting of a Russian-Turkish-Iranian alliance. Still, Israeli security forces Forces are said to be considering an offensive approach to the Syrian situation. Joining us now with more on how an offensive front in Syria will affect Israel is the founder and executive director of the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies, Dr. Martin Sherman. All right, doctor, we're seeing a shift in policy now from non-engagement in the Syrian civil war to an offensive stance against the alliance of Iran and Syria. What exactly do you think brought upon this change? Well, I think the the major factor was the increasing Iranian presence in Syria, and this is something that Israel simply cannot afford. But I, I think two things are important for the formulation of future policy for Israel. First of all, I think the truth is only going to have a marginal role to play in how this emerging situation uh, evolves. The second thing is we have to understand how unpredictable the situation is. I don't think anybody would have thought that Israel might be facing a joint Syrian-Russian-Iranian uh, coalition 
a few years ago. And so, and, and so because of this unpredictability, we cannot in any way adopt benign assumptions. We, well, have, to, we have to work on worst-case scenarios. Okay, so, but I mean, let's say, you know, Israel were to take action right now. How would that affect Israel's relationship with Turkey and Russia, who are obviously together with Iran and Syria? Well, I think it's two different things. Turkey, I don't think our relationship would get any worse. I think you know, we, can just, we can just discount Turkey as mm-hmm. anything that we need to take into consideration. Russia is a, d- a different question. In this, in this particular situation, uh, Russia is in a, in, in, in a t- tight spot. Why? Uh, because, as I said before, truth has, has a, a marginal role to play. Perhaps the Russians were given warning, but can't say that because that will put them in a very difficult situation with, with Iran and Syria. On the other hand, if, it, if they weren't giving advance warning, yeah. this has serious implications for future co- uh, coordination, especially the freedom of action of the Israeli uh, Air Force. In the well, well, the U.S. has vowed a response to the chemical attack in Syria. How likely do you think uh, a strike you know, against Iranian, Syrian, Russian, Turkish targets would be and what Israel's role would be there? Well, I think it's not implausible that the, uh, that the U.S. will conduct some kind of strike. But as I, th- I understand the uh, military experts in, in, in America are telling Trump, a single strike is not going to be of any mm-hmm. real, real uh, effect. You need a sustained effort to convey the message that the U.S. will not allow this kind of mischief uh, to continue. And unless the U.S. shows uh, considerable more resolve than it seems likely at the moment, um, I, I don't think that's going to make Israel's position any easier. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Doctor. Thank you. Violent demonstrations along the Gaza border are continuing, and now a video appearing to show IDF soldiers cheering for the sniper killing of a Palestinian protester has just surfaced. The short film has sparked massive controversy across political lines, and an investigation is now set to take place. Here with more on the story is ILTV's Aaron Porce, but first, let's take a look at the video. I'm <laughs> <laughs> How are people reacting to this video? Because it's pretty hard to watch. Yeah. We just uh, saw it ourselves here. And as you said, this has divided the government clearly. Yeah, and, spark, and sparked an investigation. And, um, you know, early, early reports from the early conclusions from the investigation are basically saying a few things. Uh, number one, that they believe this video uh, is circulating now, but it was filmed in December during clashes unrelated to those that we're seeing on the border now. Uh, further, they're saying that, you know, the IDF has concluded that the sniper was in line with military values and is not going to be brought up on any charges or anything like that, um, uh, but that the other soldiers commenting in the films were acting in ways, quote, not befitting of the values and the morals of the IDF. Uh, the cameraman who is shooting the film w- uh, will be brought up for a disciplinary hearing, um, and he may face criminal charges, but none have been filed at this time. Uh, as for the victim in the video, that's kind of the more interesting part. According to the IDF, the victim was not only a key instigator in the clashes at the time, uh, who had repeatedly refused orders to uh, turn around, but he apparently is not even dead, according to the IDF. The IDF claims that he was shot in the, in the leg and not in the head. Now, as far as people are responding to this, uh, you know, dividing the country, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we're getting 
left-wing and pro-Palestinian groups who are calling out for the sniper to be, uh, you know, to brought up on criminal charges. Uh, and, uh, you know, like Ayman Ode, who heads up the Arab, uh, the joint Arab list in the, in the Knesset. And then you have people, NGOs, who are saying, you know, this is any, any investigation is too little too late anyway because this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But then you have people, you know, on the other side of, the fa- uh, uh, of this argument, like uh, uh, Minister Bennett, uh, uh, Erdan, right, uh, and defending. Lieberman, who are defending uh, the actions here, yeah. It's just interesting to me. On what grounds are they being supportive of celebrating, you know, this... <laughs> This type of this type of action. So it's not so much that they're supporting the celebration, and, and in fact, uh, all of the people I just mentioned, Bennett, uh, uh-huh. Eldine, etc., have said that what you hear in this video, the narration, is not professional and shouldn't have been said, right. uh, and, and and is certainly you know not okay. Uh, but at the same time, to look at the actions of the field, and they're saying you know, hey, they're protecting the border. I think Science Minister Ophira Kunis said it possibly best that, you know, it's not like this guy was coming up to approaching the border to make peace. Um, so it's, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult situation, but the investigation is ongoing. Well, I, mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, this video certainly <laughs> does not make the Israeli no, military no, look doesn't. good. So there is something to be said about yeah. <laughs> in the things that are said in moments like this, whether yeah. or not um, they are yeah, morally viable. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's, let's go to our next story. It looks like the controversy surrounding Israel's upcoming Independence Day party has just caused a major loss. The president of Honduras was originally set to make history as the first ever foreign leader to join the annual torchlighting ceremony in Jerusalem. But President Hernandez has just informed the foreign ministry that he officially won't be coming. The choice to invite Hernandez in the first place was met by criticism from many Knesset members who said that Honduras's controversial past and alleged human rights violations would only dishonor Israel at the ceremony. Honduras, however, is considered by most to be next in line to move its embassy to Jerusalem, mirroring President Trump's decision just a few months ago. Word has it that President Hernandez actually pulled out of the ceremony precisely because of this criticism and because of the resulting spat that broke out between Israeli politicians. This torchlighting ceremony has been a source of controversy for another related reason. Historically, the event tries to remove politics from the equation, and as a result, neither the Prime Minister nor the President of Israel ever attend. This year, however, Prime Minister Netanyahu has announced that he does intend to attend the event, igniting uproar from much of the government, as it potentially politicizes the event. Having a foreign leader like Hernandez present would have given Netanyahu a legal loophole to attend, because Israeli law demands Israeli PMs to receive foreign leaders at events like this. No word on whether or not Netanyahu will still attend or whether or not he'll deliver a speech at the event. Everybody is focused on Israel's 70th Independence Day bash, but there are so many other events to celebrate. Our next guest is Karen Safrir, an event producer and the founder of Live Productions, and she's here to make sure our next party goes right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Natasha. All right, so tell me about Live Productions. Uh, When did you start this business, and and what kind of events do you produce? Um, I started about 16 years ago. Um, I do mostly weddings, a handful of some jolly bar mitzvahs, um, for people who come from all over the world, yeah. a lot from the UK. Well, I can imagine that there are so many people from abroad who come to Israel just to be married, right? They come to be married and they come to celebrate the mitzvahs. They have a connection yeah. to Zionism, to Judaism. 
And, and that's good not, weather. And I mean, of course, you know, it's it's a, vac- a vacation of sorts, right? So when you're going on vacation, you probably don't want to be worrying about whether or not the flowers are going to arrive on time, right? So so how do you kind of help deal with these foreigners that are coming here? I do everything from A to Z. They, wow. c- they come a year before their event. I take them to see venues across the country. Sometimes wow. they choose to do things in the desert. Um, a lot of people are happy to do things outside without air conditioning because it's not going to rain. Yeah. Um, oh, and this we is do. amazing. I mean, I'm already just kind of astounded by some of the <laughs> decorations that I'm seeing here. And, and so and I, it's just interesting to me, the majority of the people who do come here to celebrate big events like this, what countries are they coming from for the most part? They come from all over the world. Wherever there are Jews, they'll come to Israel to celebrate. Wow. And they do many day events. They do events that are four days, five days. I did a bar mitzvah that was 19 days. Um, I can't even imagine. So what is the average budget that, you know, you typically work with with these types of events? Um, people are spending a lot of money on yeah. events. Um, an Israeli will spend somewhere in the region of 150,000 shekels for a wedding of about 300 people. Yeah. We'll spend that and more just on flowers. Right. And, and then you obviously are considering for somebody that's coming from abroad, there's flights and, flights, and hotels, hotels. Yeah. transport, tourism. Yeah, not, not a simple, uh, not a simple thing no. to put together, let alone budget. All right. So this is very interesting. How can our viewers get in contact with you if they're interested in having you plan one of their events? So my company is called Live Productions. The byline is no ordinary event. I don't do ordinary events. Um, and I have a website, Live Productions, and a Facebook page. All right, guys, well, check it out. If you are looking to get married in a unique location or throw a bar mitzvah or any type of party, this is your woman, right? Thanks Thank for you. joining us. Thanks so much. All right. Israeli superstar Bar Raffaele is known to the world for all kinds of reasons. She was Oscar winner Leo DiCaprio's longtime squeeze. She's the face of countless fashion campaigns all over the world. She's even a big time entrepreneur herself. But here in Israel, Raffaele has another category on her resume, suspected tax evasion. ILTV's Brett Allen Smith is here now with the latest on the Raffaele investigation. Hey, Natasha. Hi. All right. So, so first, take us back. What exactly are the charges here in Please, just the facts, no gossip, Brett. Uh, I'll, I'll try. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I know it's going to be difficult for you. I'll you love do Bar. my best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So obviously, Bar Raffaele is an Israeli citizen. And though she did date DiCaprio for a number of years, the two were actually never legally married, which is my way of saying she's not and never was a United States citizen, which mm-hmm. that means is even while she was working in the U.S. as a model actress, etc. She was required by law to report those earnings and thus pay taxes on them back to Israel, which apparently she was not. And that's what this case is about anyway. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know tax law is tricky, but if Raffaele was actually living in the U.S. while she was working there, doesn't that mean she would have paid taxes to the U.S. and Mm. not to Israel? Well, typically you'd be totally right, but only if two important conditions are met. One, if she had a valid visa at the time, of course, and two, if she was registered as an actual resident in the Mm -hmm. U.S. And that's exactly what Raffaele did testify when this case first opened back in 2015. She said that she lived in the U.S. with her boyfriend, you know, what's his face, the man in the Iron Mask, Mm -hmm. basketball diaries, whatever. But apparently investigators found out that this was not the case. Not only was she registered as a non-resident, but it turns out she actually had bought two apartments in Tel Aviv, and was a resident there during the DiCaprio years. Right, but if she lived with DiCaprio during that time, doesn't that mean anything? Well, legally it doesn't, not without a ring, because on top of that, Raffaele actually held zero assets in the U.S. She didn't rent a home, didn't have a, her name on a car or a lease. She may not have even paid rent while she lived there, which means she most certainly was probably not paying any taxes there either. And none of this qualifies her for a tax exemption 
of Israel, obviously. She's, I wonder if she's regretting not staying with DiCaprio. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I know when this when this story first broke, they suspected she concealed something like a million shekels from the Israeli tax authority, and that was 2015. So where are things today? Well, today the situation is a bit different. They've turned up deals where Raffaele, you know, is said to have received luxury cars as part of her modeling contracts, um, potentially worth hundreds of thousands of shekels and celebrity, you know, perks. Um, and right now, they suspect she may have concealed closer to tens of millions of dollars, as it turns out. And it looks like Raffaele maybe is beginning to take these charges very seriously. Right now, she is agreeing, this is the first time, to totally reveal all of her foreign bank accounts abroad to comply with the investigation. And that probably means that she's getting ready to maybe, I don't know, settle here on this. Ironically, all this could have been avoided if she just married Leo DiCaprio, like I said. After all, right? All right. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Brett, with the information. All right. Hundreds of millions of people deal with some form of visual impairment all over the world. Sometimes all it takes to solve the issue are glasses or contact lenses, but other times more drastic measures are needed, like surgery or implants. Well, get this. A new Israeli procedure is aiming to fix all kinds of vision problems with simple eye drops. The incredible new treatment is currently in the trial phase at Israel's Bar-Ilan University and could be a game changer in how we treat visual impairment. The approach is relatively simple and done in three steps. First, an app on your smartphone measures your current vision and maps out where the correction is needed on your eyeball surface, that thin transparent layer known as the cornea. Then a minor laser surgery is done on the cornea, essentially stamping that correction onto it in an optical pattern. Think of it as a kind of invisible barcode. Finally, all you have to do is administer some eye drops, which contain nanoparticles that do the rest. Now, researchers do warn that like temporary contact lenses, the corrective effects of these drops isn't forever, meaning you'll have to do a few drops a day depending on your eyesight. But still, it sounds a heck of a lot easier than all-out corrective eye surgery and a lot less annoying than dealing with contacts. If the trials go as smoothly as expected, Israeli-made nanodrops should hopefully hit drugstores by the end of 2019. All right. It looks like Israel is heading off to the races. After literally decades of work, the country is finally about to cut the ribbon and open its very first regulation sized track for Formula Three racing. This is a bigger deal than you might think, because the racetrack is merely the first phase of an entire motor city, one that aims to bring Israel to the forefront of auto racing. Check it out. The 2.1-kilometer racetrack will officially open for the races on May 22nd. The track fits the necessary specs for high-speed Formula 3 racing. Designed by Italian specialists, the course also benefits from its desert climate in Israel's Negev Desert. Israel's first true regulation-sized track means Israeli athletes finally have a home turf to hone their skills on. Famous Israeli NASCAR driver Alon Day actually had to train for his future career back in the day by flying back and forth to Europe. After the track named Motor City opens next month, investors also believe it'll attract a whole new industry of Israeli motor hobbyists and even open up the floodgates for auto research and development. Hundreds of Israeli startups are in various stages of development on interventions to rewrite the rules of our future digital roads. Motor City, with its dry, warm conditions, would be an ideal testing ground for all kinds of Israeli auto tech. Future plans may even expand the current track to fit the 4.5-kilometer standards for Formula One racing. Auto racing is one of the fastest-growing sports in the Western world and one that's gaining a lot of speed in Israel. Last October, Alonde's European training finally paid off when he snagged the gold at the NASCAR Wheeling Euro Series Championship. 
Potatoes are the fourth most grown crop in the world. So when the Great Irish Potato Famine took place in the mid-1800s, it not only destroyed the economy, but also claimed nearly a million lives. You're probably wondering, what does the Great Irish Potato Famine have to do with Israel? Well, good old-fashioned Israeli intel has helped a high school student in New York map out a potential epidemic of that virus and win one of the biggest science fairs ever. Benji Firester's mathematical model of the spread of the virus, known as Late Blight, just won him first place and a quarter of a million dollars at the Regenerant Science Talent Search, and for good reason. The pathogen behind the Great Irish Potato Famine is actually one of the most lethal known to scientists. It's loaded with extra DNA, which can adapt quickly to just about anything scientists throw at it, a problem that this brilliant high schooler decided to attack with numbers. Well, it's very important because the late blight disease is incredibly damaging. Um, within just a few days, it can destroy an entire field and it can mutate very quickly and really get out of hand. Um, and that's why there are no current models um, to predict it because it's really so awful to predict because of how quickly it spreads. So it's really important that farmers are stopping the disease in the beginning of its progression before it reaches epidemic levels where it's unstoppable through any methods. Well, Benji had a little help from Israel predicting the spread of the disease required careful understanding of weather patterns and its impact on farming, which changes just about every second, of course. And much of his award-winning data was actually gathered from farmers here in Israel, which also integrated disease data into the mix to help predict the path of deadly spores. Late, late outbreaks are currently rampant throughout American potato and tomato crops and threaten farmlands of every kind in the country. But thanks to some Israeli farmers and one Genius teen, maybe this means we can avoid what could become the great American potato tomato famine of the future. All right, if you haven't followed the work of Kululam, then you're really missing out. Kululam is a social initiative that brings together total strangers from all corners of Israeli society and assembles them for a massive group sing-along. Well, in honor of tomorrow's Holocaust Memorial Day, Kululam has put together something very special. They've just joined nearly 600 Holocaust survivors and their families together to sing an incredibly moving rendition of Chai, the Hebrew word for live. Take a look. see this as a breathtaking performance that joins together generations of families whose histories will be forever engraved with the horrors of the Holocaust. But this song, Ofla Chazaz Chai, champions the hopes, dreams, and lives of those who fought to survive. Kululam hosted the event called Kululam Remembers and also gave the stage to Holocaust survivors to share their personal stories with the younger generations. This is an incredibly moving and fitting tribute because, as the song itself says, the people of Israel live. This is a song my grandfather sang yesterday to my father, and today I sing. And now for our Hebrew word of the day. One genius teen in New York just used Israeli data to map out the epidemic that caused the great Irish potato famine. So today's word is tapuach adama, which is the Hebrew word for the tastiest of all starches, the potato. 
What's a guaranteed way to bump a salad up a notch? Throw in a tapuach adama, a potato. Purple, white, brown, makes no difference to me. The tapuach adama is not only super nutritious, but also very, very yummy. And get this, tapuach adama is actually pretty important to the whole world too. It's the fourth largest crop grown on planet Earth, which is maybe why when we break it down, tapuach means apple and adama means earth. So in Hebrew, a tapuach adama is literally the apple of the earth. Interesting, huh? All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should be cloudy with a chance of passing showers and a low of 57 or 14 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow you can expect a rise in temperatures to a high of about 71 or 22 degrees Celsius. But in the morning, there will still be a small chance for rain. 